Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana. And man, it was good for me to get back into town. Uh, I spent a couple days with my daughter in Pennsylvania, and um, she's realizing that adulting is hard because she just had a baby two weeks ago. And uh, it's pretty amazing to watch her go through this process. I mean, after all, she's a nurse practitioner and a nurse midwife. And I'm thinking education does not provide you everything you need to know for parenting, right? Right? It's, uh, it's just pretty amazing. So it was a great trip. My wife loved it, of course. And so if you see my wife in our Mariana campus, she's in heaven because she's got two grandkids now and got another one coming in November. And she is just in grandparent, grandmother heaven, right? And I, I'm getting there because um, I'm still figuring this whole thing out. Because, I mean, that's part of adulting is hard, right? It's like, okay, now I've just moved from being a parent to being a grandparent. What do I do, right? And I've asked some of you that are grandparents, and you don't have a clue either. So anyhow, this is why we're doing this series, because adulting really is hard. So today I want to start off by answering or asking you a question that you already know the answer to, and you, everybody ready? Here's, here's the question. It is, how much better would your life be if it were conflict-free? Now, wouldn't that just absolutely incredible? You know the answer. I mean, imagine, imagine how much more fun work would be or how much more fun these family trips that you're taking this summer would be if it were conflict-free. Uh, imagine a neighborhood where everybody is neighborly and there is no conflict. I mean, imagine a school sports program where parents and coaches and referee, referees, they high-fived each other at the end of every game or did group hugs at the end of the game. I mean, like, how much better would your life be if it were conflict-free? Well, obviously, the answer to that is it would be a lot better. But we all know it's not possible. You can't escape conflict. So good luck on dealing with conflict this week because adulting is hard. Let's close in prayer, right? <laughs> it's just, I mean, no, seriously. So here's the thing. Because adulting is hard, because if you really think about it, the thing that we try to train our children, a lot of the things that we try to train our children to deal with, we as adults, we still struggle with, and conflict is one of those things. So conflict is the issue, issue that we're going to talk about today as we begin this two-week conversation about the struggle of adulting. Now, if you don't know, adulting refers to all those responsibilities that as you get older, you discover are a part of adult life. Responsibilities like paying your taxes, responsibilities like mowing your yard or buying a house or changing the oil in your car. All of that stuff that you don't have to worry about when you're younger and you have somebody else taking, for, taking care of that for you, but now it's on you. And some of you, you are pretty amazing at adulting when it comes to the task responsibilities. I mean, you keep all the laundry folded, you keep all the bills paid, you remember to take your meds, and, and you even floss every day. Kudos to you, right? But the truth is, there are some of us that are really great at adulting with, when, when it comes to tasks. Now, but the reality is, I mean, in fact, there's some really cool things. We put some of the stuff up on the screen. I, I'm going to give you a few more of them. In fact, one person wrote this. says, being afraid to check your bank account is the adult version of being afraid to check your grades. <laughs> to which another person responded is, college is when you're afraid of both. <laughs> Any college students on our campus feeling that, right? Or how about this one? I attempted to adult today, went to the grocery store to find something to make for dinner, couldn't decide, so I bought a box of Reese's Puffs and a gallon of chocolate milk. And for some of you, that's right, for some of you, you're older than me, and that's your story every time you go to the store. 
or the one that I loved, and we put it in the bumper for you today, and that is adulting is like looking both ways before you cross the street and then getting hit by an airplane. Isn't that just so true? And some of you are thinking, yep, that's my week every week. But here's the thing. It's not actually the stuff like learning to live on a budget or showing up on work on time or logging more miles than an Uber driver, you know, shuttling your kids from here to there that makes adulting hard. The thing that makes adulting hard for all of us is this. It is what rattles around inside our hearts that keep us from adulting well. It's not all the obvious adult responsibilities and tasks. It's the emotional, it's the mental, it's the spiritual stuff, the beneath the surface kind of stuff. Now, here's the thing. Your external behaviors may have some visible sign of trouble, but they are just symptomatic of a deeper, more hidden issues that we're all dealing with. And it's those deeper issues that are the reasons that you keep having financial problems and your relationships keep going sideways and you've got all these mistakes on repeat cycle in your life. So at some point, adults who learn to adult well, they learn to do the hard work of handling the inside stuff, that stuff in their heart. Because they know that if they don't deal with the inside stuff, they're going to sabotage themselves. So today, I thought we'd jump right on into the deep end and talk about relational conflict. Because it is a fact of life, you can't avoid it. We try to train our children to handle it well, but as adults, most of us, we don't handle it well. And as much as most of us would love to live in a conflict-free kind of mindset and culture, in fact, one of the things, here's what I know, I bet most of you are dealing with um, some kind of conflict right now in your life. Some Some of you, you probably are at odds with a coworker. Some of you are at odds with a neighbor. Some of you are odds with a roommate. Maybe you had a fallout this week with a friend or maybe you're in a feud with a family member. Maybe there's this underlying tension in a relationship because there are some things that have never been said or never been addressed in that relationship. See, some of you, you, you've even taken this conflict thing to an extreme. You are now a conflict pro. You've got this ongoing fight that has never been resolved. And so there are people in your life that won't speak to you or maybe you won't talk to them. I mean, there's a lot of uh, history with them and there's a lot of hostility with them. And these emotions that you have are very, very strong. In fact, some of you, you're such conflict pros that you've got some conflict that you don't even care if it ever gets resolved. And here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, You can kind of choose that attitude. You can make your own standard. But I wouldn't suggest you do that because I'm telling you, it's gonna set you up for more heartache in your life and your relationships. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, he hasn't left us that option not to deal with conflicts. Because as you heard us say many times before, while you can choose if you're gonna follow Jesus or not, once you choose to follow, you don't get to choose what following looks like, what it feels like, or what it reacts like in any relationship. Because Jesus was very, very clear. If we follow him, we are to love one another the way that he loved us. And whenever there was conflict between us and God, What did Jesus do? Jesus showed up and he did everything in his power to reconcile our relationship with him. 
So avoiding or ignoring conflict, it is not a healthy choice for anyone to make because contrary to what other people might have told you, time never heals conflict. In fact, it only makes the wounds worse. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's not only not just emotionally unhealthy, but it's also a sign of spiritual immaturity and disobedience to God. And so... Here's what we've learned for the past few weeks, and this is why this is so important, and that is this. Our ability to get along with one another is a sign of how well we follow Jesus. It's what loving as Jesus loved requires of us. So today, what I wanna do is I wanna spend a few minutes digging into why we have conflict, and then what responsibility do I have in getting along with others, and then what's out of my control when it comes to conflict. So to answer those three questions, We're gonna look at some insight into our basic human nature that's tucked away in a little section in a letter that James, the brother of Jesus, well, you've been the half-brother of Jesus, wrote. And if you wanna go and follow along, it's in James chapter four. And James gives us this extraordinary insight into conflict and then how we can deal with this in a very healthy way. So here's how he starts in James chapter four, verse one. And he starts by asking a question that I want all of us to answer, but answer it to yourself. Here we go. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, you don't need to answer that out loud, but you know the answer, don't you? When somebody asks you what causes fights and quarrels among you, some of you are thinking, well, the person's sitting right beside me. We wouldn't have had this fight on the way to church this morning if it weren't for them. I mean, they're the cause of the conflict. It's what she said. It's what he did or didn't do. It's how they've been treating me. I mean, the answer to this question in our mind is an easy one. They are what causes fights and quarrels among us. Now, let me ask you another question that James doesn't ask right here, but it's implied. What would end the fights and quarrels among you? Again, most of you, you don't have to think too hard about that question of what would end the fights and quarrels. I mean, I'll go ahead and answer it for all of us. If they would just shape up and do the right thing. In your mind, it's just really simple. Just do what's right and we won't fight. And my question to you is, well, what's right? Well, and your response would be, well, what I think is right is right. That's what's right. I mean, think about it. You've never been in a fight where you knew you were wrong and they were right. If you are, then we got other issues with you. But the reality is, (laughs) see, we're always convinced that we're right about our argument, we're right about our case, we have the right answer, and that's why we fight. So this conflict, it can be easily ended if they would just meet me on my terms and see things my way, the right way. And in our minds, it just seems pretty simple. But then James asks a second question, and I'm not sure we like what he implies in this second question. Notice the last part of verse one. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he kind of answers it by asking another question. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, James is saying, every conflict that you have with another person can be traced back to the fact, you might wanna write this down, every conflict that you have with another person can be traced back to the fact that you are not getting what you want. 
Now, maybe what you want is actually a good thing. Maybe what you want is a God-honoring thing. But you're not getting what you want. And James says, that is the cause of any conflict. So why do we fight and quarrel? You're not getting what you want. I'm not getting what I want. And the sooner James says that we acknowledge this, the sooner you can have clarity around what's really causing the conflict. But here's the thing, and this is why things tend to go so sideways. You may really want a good thing that you're not getting. You may want that person to respect you, and that's a good thing. You may want that person to care about you. After all, they stood at an altar and said, hey, until death do us part, and there's nothing wrong with you wanting them to care for you. You may want that person to listen to you. I mean, after all, you're paying their salary, and that's a good thing. But here's the thing. It's how you react when you don't get what you want, even if it's a good thing, even if it's a God-honoring thing that determines whether the conflict is healthy or unhealthy. And far too often, our reactions, because we're not getting what we want, it takes us down an unhealthy road. In fact, as we're gonna see, James says, our reactions in the conflict, it shows more about us than it does the other people that we are in conflict with. In fact, here's how James described this in verse two. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, he doesn't literally mean you kill someone, although this is at the heart, this whole thing of desire is at the heart of every murder, but he's referring to something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus equated anger with murder. So James is saying, whenever you react in anger, when you don't get what you want, he said, what you're doing is you're killing the relationship. You're creating relational wreckage. And he says, you're doing that. Now we blame everybody else, but he says, you're doing that. And then he goes on in the next part of verse two. He says, you covet. And covet means I really, really, really want this. I really want this. To the point that you start thinking and you often start reacting irrationally. Now to us, our reactions are rational because after all, I'm not getting what I want and I deserve to get what I want because it's right and it's good. But to others, oftentimes our reaction is very irrational. But he goes on to say, he says, you covet, but you do not get what you want. So what do you do when you don't get what you want? You quarrel and you fight. The implication is every time you're in a conflict with someone, you need to look in the mirror and say, do you know what the major problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's a major problem for us in a moment. Now, James is also saying there is a better way to deal with conflict, not getting what you want, than just getting mad and fighting about it. Because in the process of fighting about the problem or the fighting about this problem, it oftentimes the problem becomes very personal, that we move the focus from the problem to a person. And hear me this. The moment or the minute it becomes personal, it becomes irrational. Don't miss what I just said. The moment a conflict or a quarrel or a fight becomes personal, it becomes irrational. The moment it becomes personal, it becomes irreconcilable because everybody's irrational. And the moment it becomes personal, it becomes prideful. Don't miss that. 
The moment it becomes personal, it becomes prideful. And suddenly, you've lost sight of what the actual issue is, and now you're attacking someone, not something, and there's no way to win that kind of quarrel or fight. In fact, James's point is simply this. You can't solve a problem if you're not clear about the problem. So if you were at lunch with James today and you were venting about some conflict that you were having with someone, I think he would say something to you. Let's just get real honest. He would say something like, what's causing your conflict really? Now, since James isn't here, let me ask you this. What's causing your conflict really? I mean, you know the conflict that you thought about the moment I started having this conversation with you today. That, that tension that exists in your workplace that everybody knows about, but nobody's doing anything about. That thing that's going on with your friend that you're trying to act like isn't there, but everybody else who's in these relationships, they feel that. That tension between that person that's in a small group with you and, and they keep asking with you or another person in a small group starts asking you, hey, what's going on here? What's going on? And you just keep saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And the more they ask you, the more you say, I'm fine, I'm fine. And now you're angry at them, right? So here's what James is really saying. Healthy conflict requires some honest conversations. But those honest conversations, they don't start with the other person. See, those honest conversations that we need to have when it comes to conflict, they start with us not the other person. See, this is why conflict resolution is so tough. Please understand, conflict resolution is not so tough because of the other people we're dealing with. Conflict resolution is tough because here's the thing, you have to lay down your pride and get beyond finger pointing and the blaming games that we have and we have to do the hard work to look in the mirror and be brutally honest with ourselves of why we are reacting the way that we are reacting. And most of the time we're reacting the way that we're reacting because we want what we want and we're not getting it and our pride has made us react in an ungodly kind of way. So what James is saying is you have to move past all the emotions and all the distractions and you have to ask yourself, okay, why am I really upset here? And then you have to be humble enough to own that and figure out even if it's a legitimate desire that wasn't met by somebody and they promised you they're gonna meet it but they still didn't meet it, you still have to figure out if you reacted as Jesus asked, as Jesus commanded you to respond as a follower of his, did you respond in love or did you respond in pride, which always evokes anger or vengeance or rage or some other kind of unhealthy emotion? Now, while all of the things that I just told you are true, none of that stuff is rocket science. Many of you are sitting going, oh, I know this, I know this. But what is unique about James's approach is the way that he tells us to resolve our conflict. And I'm just going to tell you up front, the way that James tells us to resolve conflict, it is not easy. Do you know why? Because James knows, because I'm sure he watched his brother Jesus do it right so many times. Jesus, or James knows that peacemaking is hard work. 
Peacemaking will cost you deeply every time you do it. Don't miss what I just said there. Peacemaking in a relationship will cost you deeply every time you make peace in a relationship. You know why? Because peace always comes with a price tag. If you want peace in any relationship, there is a price tag. And you know what the price tag is? The price of peace is your pride. You will never experience peace in your relationships until you learn to stop making about you, your rights, your terms. Because the price of peace is your pride. See, you can't really identify what's really causing conflict if you're not willing to consider that my pride is probably a key part of the problem. I mean, see, it's hard to have a conflict with somebody who's humble. You, you can never get to, the, to peace if you're not willing just to listen, to understand, instead of demanding that you be understood. I mean, how many times have you been in a conversation with somebody and they look at you and they go, you're not understanding me? Or how many times have you looked at someone, maybe your spouse or your parents or someone and said, you're not understanding me? And all of a sudden, that's an awareness. Hey, pride has kicked in because I'm seeking to be understood more than understand. So you have to lay down your pride if you're gonna pick up peace in any relationship. So the price of peace relationally is pride. And James says, just in case you need a little motivation to understand that you really need to deal with your pride, he said, let me remind you of something. He says this in verse six. He says, that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In other words, what James is saying is this, if I'm opposed to you, then God is opposed to me. If I let my pride get between you and me, then God is going to stand against me. And you go, why? Well, there are two reasons here. One, that person that I am now angry with is somebody that God loves, deeply loves, so much he died for them. And if they are responsible, or even if they're responsible for like the biggest part of the conflict, understand they still matter deeply to God. And as a follower of Jesus, I am still responsible to love them as Jesus loved me. And see, I can't love you like Jesus has loved me if I let my pride get between us. So the minute that I value having my way, my preferences, my rights over our relationship, and our relationship, any relationship you're in is a person who God created, then God is kind of like any good father. He has a problem if we don't treat his children well. The, the other reason that God opposes me when I'm proud is because of the second part of the statement. James says he opposes the proud, but what does God do? He gives grace to the humble. Now, why in the world would James bring that up? Here's why. Because grace and pride cannot coexist. Anytime I'm living out of pride, I have cut off God's grace from my life. I'm no longer receiving God's grace in my life because think about it, grace by definition is undeserved, unmerited favor that always flows down to the humble. So people who lack humility, they never embrace grace because they don't think 
They need grace. They don't even look for grace. They think they've earned everything and they think they deserve everything. That's why you oftentimes are not gracious toward other people because you're not realizing how much God has been gracious to you and you haven't been, don't realize how much other people have been gracious to you and you're living in pride and you think you've earned everything and you deserve everything. And that's why you're so judgmental and so condescending toward other people. But if we all stop and are really honest with ourselves, there are plenty of moments in life where we're the one who has screwed up, we've messed up, and we need grace from God, and we need grace from other people, don't we? So God's not opposing you when you're proud because he's angry with you. He's opposing you when you're proud, literally because you're opposing him, because your pride is cutting off for you from the very grace from God that you need from him and that you need from him to give to other people. So your pride is this self-defeating decision that you make every time that you move into living out of pride. So let me just kind of sum this up and then share some practical steps with you. James' point is, is very simply this. The only appropriate response to conflict is humility. See, you can't solve conflict in a healthy way without humility. Here's why. Humility gets you out of what pride got you in. Don't miss that. Humility gets you out of what pride got you in. So how do I know if I'm reacting out of pride? Well, a sign that I am reacting out of pride is I am not passionate and I am not motivated to show grace to them or give them grace for what they did. See, pride says, I don't need grace from God and I don't need grace from other people so I can be the judge of everybody else's actions and I can be as condescending and diminishing as I wanna be. Pride will only get you deeper into conflict. Humility will get you out of what pride got you in. Now, that doesn't mean that I just forgive and, and forget. It doesn't mean that I ignore what happened. It doesn't mean that you let someone continue to just walk over you like a doormat. And it doesn't mean that the relationship remains as close as it was even before. The nature of the relationship may need to change and that's okay. It's what we call healthy boundaries. Now, if you feel that kind of tension in a relationship we're talking about, I, I don't want you to miss next week, but the reality is um, we're gonna talk more about that. And I think you're gonna find it next week's talk incredibly freeing if you're wrestling with those kind of questions right now. But here is why humility is the only response to conflict. Because you can't do what you need to do to handle conflict in a healthy way if you are filled with any kind of pride. You will never show grace if you're reacting out of pride. So if you have unresolved conflict with somebody, let me just kind of wrap this up by giving you three steps that you need to take to handle that conflict out of grace and humility, not out of pride and arrogance. Here's the first one. First of all, you need to pray about it. Before you talk to anybody else about what's going on, you need to start with talking to God. So if you're angry, go ahead and let God know. If you need to vent, vent to God. He's the only one that knows both sides of the story 110%, right? 
because he knows what's going on outside and inside in both of you. So do the hard thing that none of us want to do. Admit that you, to God, say, God, I don't know how to fix this conflict because my pride keeps getting in the way and ask God for his help in the process. And then while you're at it, ask him to show you, hey, how has my pride added to this conflict? Where am I at fault in this conflict? See, that's where humility comes in when there's a conflict and you believe the other person is primarily responsible, but you say, God, where's my part in this process? The second thing you need to do is you need to own your part. Because see, if you're humble enough to honestly ask the question, what is causing this conflict really, you'll discover that you probably played a part in the conflict. Maybe it was an action or a reaction that you had. Maybe you never clearly communicated what your expectations were, and now you're mad because somebody didn't meet those expectations. Or maybe you didn't want to create conflict, so you didn't speak up and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking, and here's what I want. And now all of a sudden it's got to a boiling point, and you blow up. But, but here's the thing. You never resolve conflict by pointing the finger. You only resolve conflict by looking in the mirror. So the starting point for resolving any kind of conflict in your life is you start with yourself. And then the third, and this is gonna be the hardest for most of you, once you have owned your part personally, then you need to talk to them. Now, it doesn't matter if you created the conflict or not. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 talk about this. See, when you know that there's a conflict between you and someone else, whether you initiated it or they initiated it, you need to take the initiative to resolve it. And you go hum in, hum in humility, not in pride. And you own your point, your part, not pointing out their part of the process. Now, let's just be honest. Most of us, we do just the opposite of this. We talk about the person, not to the person. And I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, that's not helpful. You know what that's called? That's called gossip. Gossip is when you talk about a problem to someone who's neither part of the problem nor part of the solution to the problem. In fact is, all of us have been guilty of gossip, but it is never helpful. In fact, gossip is a pride move. Don't miss that. Gossip is a pride move. See, we all gossip, and when, whenever we gossip, what happens is we're all trying to get people that we're talking to to agree with us about our point of view, so gossip and humility are mutually exclusive. So if you're talking to someone else about another person who can't be part of the solution other than to hear you vent, then you know that your pride is kicked in. You've got to go to the person directly. Anything else is unloving. Even if you say to the person, and if I had a dollar for every time somebody has said this to someone, or I've heard this kind of statement made, I'm like, I, I could pay my salary for the rest of my life and never take a salary from the church again, right? Um, but, but the reality is, even if you say the person you're gossiping to, and, and most of you are gonna, if I ask you to raise your hand, you have to go, yeah, I said that. This, this, is, this is when you know you're gossiping. You say this. I would say the same thing to them that I'm telling you if I were talking to them. You know you have just moved into gossip. That's just your rational lie that you're telling yourself of why it's okay to talk to somebody else. And if you sit there and listen to someone tell you, I would tell them the same thing that I'm telling you that I, if I were talking to them, you take them by the hand and then say, let's go talk to them then because you don't need to talk to me. Because then you become guilty of gossip as well because now you're listening. See, the problem with that is that is a lie that you've told yourself or you would have talked to the person that you're in conflict with instead of the person that you are gossiping to. 
Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus is so serious about this that one day he told his disciples, he said, listen, if you're standing in line for worship and you're at the temple and you're about to offer your sacrifice, a sacrifice of worship, and you remember you have conflict with someone, don't tell the person in front of you in line or back in line to kind of get clear your conscience. No, he says, I want you to get out of line. I want you to go find that person and you go make things right. And then you go start back at the end of line again to finish up worship. I mean, that's how big a deal it was to Jesus because he knew that you can't be wrong with somebody and right with God. You can't be good with God, but at odds with one of his children. You love God by loving his people well. It's really that simple. So let me ask you a question. What conflict have you been avoiding that you need to address? Who who have you been blaming but you've not done your part to make things better. I mean, James just makes it, it can't be any clearer, really. Your job, my job, and every conflict is to pray about it, then identify what is causing the conflict, really. Where has my pride stepped in between me and God and between me and that person? It's our part to own and not be blind about how we are contributing to the conflict. And then when my emotions are out of it because I've gotten rid of my pride because humble people aren't emotional people in the sense of irrational or illogical, then I go to that person and I talk to the person about how to solve the problem, not to point out how they were so wrong. Now, does that guarantee that the conflict is gonna be resolved perfectly? No. Does that mean you resume all unhealthy relationships? Not at all. What if they don't wanna talk? What if they're unwilling to resolve things? That, that kind of stuff will happen. What, and you're sitting there, oh, what if I can't forgive? We'll get to that next week a little bit and we're gonna tackle all of those questions that I just laid out there for you. But here's the thing. You can't keep avoiding conflict and have a healthy relationship with God. And you can't keep letting your anger drive your conflict and think that you're gonna resolve any kind of conflict in a healthy way. Because when you do, what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from the very grace that you're going to need from God in the future and from other people in the future. Because God resists the proud. He can only give grace to the humble. So how much better would your life be if it were conflict-free? It would be a lot better because you'd be at peace. And peace is what brings all of us joy and happiness and fulfillment. But I'm telling you folks, the price tag of peace in relationships is your pride. So here's the big question. Will you do the hard work this week of responding to everyone in humility? Will you pray about it? Will you own your part? And then will you go talk to that person? Because literally our ability to get along with other people is a sign of how well we are following Jesus. We love God by the way we love the people around us. The path to peace is our pride. That's our challenge this week. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is available to help us adult well. God, it's amazing to me how we as parents will get into our children when they don't handle conflict well and we'll try to coach them, but then we will do our own thing with conflict and we let our pride get in the way of adulting well. So God, I just pray that you help us all to be really honest with ourselves and, and look in the mirror as we ask the question, What is the cause of this conflict 
really. Then be reminded of what James says. It's because I'm not getting something that I want. And when I let my pride kick in, it escalates the conflict. It becomes personal. And at that point, it becomes irrational. At that point, it becomes irreconcilable. God, I just pray that you forgive all of us for rationalizing the lies that we've told ourselves. That we can be a follower of Jesus. And not follow Jesus in how we treat other people. God, forgive us for our sin of rationalizing gossip, of using lines that I would tell them this if I were talking to them, but never talk to them, only other people. God, we've sinned against you, we've sinned against people, all because we've not humbled ourselves and said, Heavenly Father, we need your help to love others the way you've loved us. Help us to begin to live that out today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great day, great week, conflict-free week because you're gonna stay humble, right? <laughs>